0: Hello and welcome to the Caregivers Podcast, where we discuss all types of dementia and hopefully share some caregiver stories along the way. My name is Kimberly Scott. I'm a part-time caregiver to my mother, who at age 65 was diagnosed with early onset dementia. In 2019, I started Caregiver Stories to give caregivers a place to tell their story when they were ready, to continue to educate those who don't know about dementia, and what to do if a loved one is diagnosed. And most importantly, my number one soapbox mission is to get people to be talking and having a tough conversation about the what if your loved one is diagnosed, then what? Is there a plan? Because I can tell you, I wish I would have had this tough conversation with my mom before she was diagnosed. If you wanna share your story or you have knowledge about dementia, and want to be a guest on Caregivers Stories Podcast, visit thatkimberly.com to sign up to be interviewed. And while you're there, you can pick the platform you prefer to listen to the podcast on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and now Amazon Alexa. My guest today is Judy Cornish. Hello, Judy. Hi, Kimberly. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate your time.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really, I'm so glad to speak about dementia and dementia care.
0: And I'm grateful that you're open and willing to speak about it. Tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what led you to do what you do now. Well,
1: I didn't come into dementia care through a family member. I know most of us, that's the way we're introduced. But I was actually practicing law in Portland, Oregon, and wanted to semi-retire. And so I thought what I would do is move to some nice little mountain town closer to the Rocky Mountains, because I like to ski.
0: Uh-huh. And I ended up
1: in Moscow, Idaho, and I was renting, you know, trying to decide what neighborhood I wanted to be in. And a neighbor came across the street to speak to my landlord and mm-hmm. said, you know, my mom, she's raised us in this house. She's been there 56 years, but now she's getting forgetful. She's beginning, beginning to lose the car. We're going to move her into a care facility. Oh, wow. And I just hated to hear that, so I said, you know, I'm not working, and I'd be happy to help your mom. Wow. And, you know, I, I buy groceries. I'll take her with me. If she wants to go swimming, well, I could, I don't mind. I'll take her swimming, and, and so that was how it started, and within two weeks, I had several more. I can't remember. I think I had three more seniors where the kids called and said, hey, we hear you're helping Mary. Can you look after my mom? Can you help with our dad? And wow. so all of a sudden I realized I had a business. Uh-huh. And at first, I thought that I'd started a senior care business. And then I really quickly realized that what people need when they're aging and frail is very different from what they need when they're aging and experiencing dementia. Yes. And so in a period of months, I found myself working far more hours than I wanted of working pretty much full-time all over again. Uh And I had to hire help or just, you know, call all these people and all these kids and tell them I couldn't look after their parents any longer. Uh And so, but what kept me going was the realization at first I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew that all of these people, you know, all my neighbors, all my elders Uh that I was working with, that they were experiencing something I had experienced before. And I just couldn't put my finger on it. You know, they were, Really distressed, really uncomfortable. And I realized it took me about six or eight months. And all of a sudden, I realized that what they were experiencing was the loss of rational thinking skills. And they were trying to navigate the world with just their intuitive thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone through the very same thing when I went from my undergraduate work in languages and music and art, literature, and very suddenly ended up in law school. And all of a sudden, I found myself in law school where I had to use rational thinking skills and I wasn't able to use intuitive thinking skills that I was much more comfortable using. So, so you realized
0: I, it was the same process. It was that our brains were working yeah. the same.
1: Yeah, that when we lose a set of skills, it ups, it's upsetting. Yes. And yet I knew... You know, from my work in languages, I knew that when we begin to behave in a manner that seems odd, or when our brains make mistakes, that there's always a logical reason. And and so I didn't know anything about dementia or Alzheimer's or anything like that, because my background is is arts and law. Mm -hmm. But I expected that when people behaved in a certain way or reacted in a certain way, that there would be a logical reason for it. And I think that expectation really helped me see dementia differently. Yeah. And, and, you know, and everything I teach now and everything I learned, everything I write about is what I learned from those neighbors, from my clients, my elders.
0: Your five years in the trenches, if you will. And by accident, that is a sheer kindness act because my mom's had dementia for seven years now. And it was only this past year, That I found a caregiver that I paid to stay with my mom Monday through Friday, eight to five, but I had interviewed so many other people. I had asked friends that they, and and her neighbors, they were tired, but I didn't straight out ask them, but nobody volunteered and said, (laughs) sure, let me, why not? Yeah, that's
1: right. No, but you know, it really is, it's so much harder to be the caregiver of a loved one Yes. Than it is to be a caregiver who comes in because you know you've got decades of experience and relationship.
0: Yeah, and, I think it's,
1: and all of that's in it too.
0: I feel like it's relative. The the yeah. things that the caregiver expresses to me, her full time one that is not related to her is hard because she sees change and she she's hesitant and it's a different struggle than like the struggle I have as being the child to parent and the struggle that my mom and my stepdad have. And, you know, everybody, any kind of relationship throughout the family. So it is hard. Well, good for you. That's amazing. And so you took the five years of experience and developed the training program that you now call Dawn or the Dawn Method.
1: That's right. Yeah. And, but you know, it wasn't actually that seamless, you know, at first I was just fascinated and trying to really identify what this pattern was Mm -hmm. in people's losses. And so, you know, and I hired additional staff to work with me and I was already seeing that, well, if I just took care of the person's rational thinking needs, you know, if I did all the rational thinking when I was with my client, then they'd be really comfortable just using intuitive thinking skills. And if I stopped expecting them to do anything that required rational thinking skills or memory, then they would relax and start feeling safe with me. And then I had hired these other caregivers and they were having trouble. They were getting into situations where people weren't happy and they were, our clients were making bad decisions or reacting. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to train my caregivers. You know, within a year, I was trying to figure out what's this pattern? in the loss of skills? And then how do I communicate that to somebody else who doesn't have my educational background? Mm -hmm. And so then for a couple of years, I was training my caregivers personally, no formal training program. I was just, you know, uh, day by day, we were working together. And then I realized that whenever my client's family came to visit, that the client would decompensate, would start having problems and start being afraid and start acting out. And so I realized that I really did need to communicate the same thing I was communicating to my caregivers and our same approach it needed to be, be something that everybody in the person's life used yeah. consistently. And so then when we were able to have a family and have a client where we had everybody using my approach and it was consistent, then the client really began to feel safe and secure yeah. and relaxed. You know, there's a real beauty to being able, to being supported and able to live intuitively.
0: Yeah. And, exactly.
1: and, and I, know, I know this isn't something we talk about in America a lot. But yeah.
0: Well, no, it, when I watched your TED Talk, I sent it, I emailed it to my stepdad. I texted it to both my nieces and my nephews. I sent it to my sister-in-law, my brother, and to the caregiver because it is so hard for everybody's going through these different stages of yes. caregiving grief, if you will, and at different times. Yeah. And some of my family members are still in denial. And I think because I just dove in the way I did when she was diagnosed, I've got over it. I still go through other stages, but I'm not in the denial stage. Right. And I have learned things along the way. I'm continuing to learn, especially from doing these interviews about the things that other caregivers have gone through and and tips and tricks. But, you know, watching your talk made so much more sense. You know, where I was like, now it can be explained to my family members because I hadn't been able to verbalize that to them other than reminding them, don't say this, don't use these words to her, you know, don't, don't, don't. And I I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, you know, I just want us to enjoy her time while she's here.
1: Right. Yep. You know, so when I gave my TEDx talk, what I wanted to do was try to in 18 minutes, and I went over time, and that's why they didn't promote me. But um, yeah, they didn't promote me at all. I will promote (laughs) you.
0: I will promote you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They buried me. But it's a paradigm shift. It's counterintuitive. It's the flip of the coin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in this country, we're so good at looking at Injury, accident, mm-hmm. surgery, curing diseases.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so our, our entire c- focus is on treatment. Mm-hmm. And we've lost the other side of the coin is, what do you do when you can't cure it? What yes. do you do when you are going to die with this condition? And yes. what you do is really very simple. What you do is you turn your focus away from what's wrong and you put your focus on what's right. -hmm. But the person can still do. And that to me is strength based care. And we're getting, you know, we're getting all kinds of lip service to Mm -hmm. person based, person centered care, person directed care, strength based care. But if you don't understand what your loved one is still able to do, And if you don't understand the types of thinking skills that they are currently able to use and they are using, Mm -hmm. and if you don't understand that they are fully experiencing the present Mm -hmm. and they're not able to drift into the past using memory skills, they're not able to project themselves into the future using rational thinking skills, they're right there in the present, fully experiential. Yeah and so everything they see on our faces all of our nonverbal communication all the moods and anything we bring into their present is mm-hmm. what will shape the way they feel and the way they experience the world yeah and and if we're bringing beautiful things be it relationships sensory beauty you know laughter or laughter yeah. mm-hmm. moods beautiful moods love if we're bringing these beautiful emotions into their lives we give them the greatest gift anyone can experience, this yes. this being fully present and living entirely intuitively.
0: Yes. So. That is well stated. I can't express the joy that I felt when I watched that to be able to send it to my uh-huh. family members, especially my stepdad and her caregiver, because they see her, they're with her the most. Um, since I'm part-time, I fly there and give everybody a little bit of relief, make sure yeah. that finances are okay. And and all that great stuff, but it takes yeah. a village and it does. You know, there's that dynamic that, that they're pushing against because they know this is happening to them. And right. if you don't meet them where they're at, yeah. it's hard for them. I didn't want to misquote, but the stats that you mentioned in that, would you talk a little bit about those number of people that are turning 65, I believe, and then that are being diagnosed with dementia?
1: Boy, you know, I purposefully forget the statistics. Okay. Right now, we think that very likely it's going to be about 16 to 17 million families who are attempting to provide care in some manner for a loved one who's experiencing dementia okay. in the United States. But you know, the statistics are are just truly horrifying. And they're
0: ever changing. They're ever changing growing.
1: This is the beginning. of This is the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more. We're just getting started. And what really scares me, and this is why I know what you do with your podcast is all self-funded. And, and this is your effort. It's your gift mm-hmm. to people. And this Dawn is for me too. I've got two dear friends who are almost entirely volunteering their time and services for website design and everything that keeps me technologically happening (laughs) because I can't do technology at all. But right now we have a caregiver shortage. We have an aging population and we have more people moving into retirement than we have staying in the workforce. Wow. There is no way that we are going to be able to fully staff the number of care facilities that we will need five years from now. But we aren't even fully staffing care facilities today. I know. And so what does that mean? And that's what has shaped my approach. This is why I'm still not retired. and I'm still working. Well, you, sh-
0: you shouldn't. I tell people, don't retire. Morning. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep and- doing what
1: you're doing. Yeah. yeah that's right it's too much fun but you know there's just such a need but my goal what I want to do is help families help all of us those of us who are not medical professionals and we can't afford care facilities and we're doing our best but we all must work and I want to help us equip us to provide kind supportive proper dementia care and that's my goal that's a great goal you know and and the thing is we can do this we can yes. do it the trouble is we already know how to raise children and mm-hmm. children are people who are developing skills they have fewer emotional skills than us as adults and they mm-hmm. have fewer cognitive skills so they're developing their skills and we help them develop skills and become fully functional adults and so and we do that technically what we're doing is providing habilitative care in raising our children. And so we do that very naturally. But when all of a sudden when it's our parents who are experiencing dementia and losing skills and experiencing the emotional distress of trying to live with skills that are fading away, we're not good at that. We've never done it before. And we try the child approach and it doesn't work. And then we try to you know, use what the medical establishment here in America has told us is the correct way. Mm-hmm. You know, reality orientation try to force this person to accept what we know is true
0: that doesn't work that
1: doesn't work because they're losing rational thought and so you know they can't analyze whether their reality is true or or the one they're being told and so so it's the flip of the coin and it's just the same it's habilitative care it Mm -hmm. works it works beautifully but it's counterintuitive to anything you've done before and so, so that's why people always want me to come teach in one hour, teach us the Dawn Method. And there is no possible way to do that because it's a paradigm shift. I'm changing the way you think. And it takes experiential learning. You know, when I teach, I teach families and I like to teach families privately. You know, I use Zoom if they don't live here or, or in person if they do. But I like to teach eight one-hour classes over a period of eight weeks. And I find if I lead them through, lead them into understanding this strength-based approach, if I, if I can take them on a journey that takes eight weeks, mm-hmm. when we get to the end, they're with me.
0: Yeah. And, 20, and 21 then, days to change a habit?
1: <laughs> I know. You yeah. know, at first, I used to not let people take the classes more than once every three weeks. And then it was 24 weeks for the whole series. And, yeah. and that was just too hard for families. Yeah. Yeah. So but
0: it's good. You know, practice makes perfect and it does take the entire or the family that wants to participate, you know, if it's two people or if it's 10, so yeah. that everybody's on the same page. And I only know this from experience because when I held it all in and I didn't talk to my siblings or my stepdad or anybody else, it was yeah. not a good formula. And so then I started right. sharing and expressing the things that I had learned, you know, online or from friends, now you and others that I've interviewed, it does take a village. And it it, it, it's it a really different, does. she's physically very healthy. My mother yeah. is. So she has no short-term memory and some of the things that she does remember i'm just baffled at you know when i was just visiting there she said let's start a business and i was like okay mom what kind of business i don't know it kicked in when she retired and so she wasn't ready to not be able to do any stuff you know other than just play tennis so she has this yearning to still do stuff every day she applied for uber and i was like oh my gosh Um, you're no longer driving how can you (laughs) work for uber but things like that that i just don't know where they come from but it makes more sense now from what you're saying how i can treat her and how maybe you know we can go about things differently in that way
1: yeah Um, you know one of the first things that i when i meet with a family you know about providing care um and i do still have my little my care business in moscow idaho mm -hmm. palouse dementia care is still there um Yeah. But, you know, one of the first questions, the first things I want to know is your loved one who's experiencing dementia, is she able to comprehend that she's losing cognitive skills? Because some people are fully aware that mm-hmm. they're losing cognitive skills. And those people are really afraid. They're grieving. They are so, so, you know, grief stricken for what's going to happen to them and to their families, to their loved ones. Yeah, They're grieving for the future, the retirement years they're losing
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they should. And so they're fully aware of what's going on. They know they have dementia and they are grief stricken and fearful. Mm-hmm. Then there's other people who are also not only experiencing dementia, but the dementia is affecting the part of the brain that lets us be self-aware. And when that happens, the, the condition is anosognosia. And mm-hmm. so people who are experiencing anosognosia are not able to comprehend that their brain is impaired. And sometimes, you know, at times it'll even be physical. I had a client who had lost all of his teeth to poor dental care. Mm-hmm. And he was positive that he could eat steak. And if he managed to order a steak at a restaurant, he'd get really angry mm-hmm. because they served him a tough steak. And there mm-hmm. was no way for him to comprehend that not having any teeth meant he could not chew. I've got another client who is unaware. She cannot recall why she has pain. Mm-hmm. And so every few moments, she's positive that her partner has hit her and caused her pain, and yet she's not able to recall or remember what that is. So when you're shaping the way you approach providing dementia care, you have to take into account whether or not the individual is able to comprehend that they need care Mm -hmm. and that they are impaired. So like in, in your mom's case, does she understand? Does she know?
0: Oh yes, she does. Sometimes she'll make jokes about it, make light about it, but in other times when she can't find her rings, yeah. you know, we just look for him. When she loses the keys, we just look for him. When yeah. she can't find the keys of the car, my brother has taken them. And I let her think that because she can't drive anymore. So right. it right. depends yeah. on the item and the thing, but she's aware. It's just whether or not she wants to say it out loud that that's the reason why she's lost yeah. something or she can't remember something. I've trained or taught the caregiver to not use the words remember or i told you already or or, just repeat it we just repeat it a hundred times
1: yeah because she doesn't have memory skills so you know to say remember or i already told you that's like saying to somebody who's lost eyesight they've lost their vision yeah saying come on it's right there it's right in front of you can't
0: you see it yeah can't you see it
1: you used to be able to see it so why aren't you looking now it's the same thing
0: yeah For sure. What advice would you give to someone that their loved one was just diagnosed with dementia or just became a caregiver?
1: You know, if you have a diagnosis, um, actually, the very first thing I always check is, have you really talked to your doctor about the possibility that this is not dementia, this is the interaction of two drugs interacting together? Or could it be that this individual is simply very dehydrated? Or could it be that this person has reached critical low levels of magnesium Hmm. due to drug interactions again? And those three things happen very, very often. So I hate to see anybody jump, you know, like go to a primary care physician and have the physician say, well, gosh, you know, it kind of looks like you have dementia Um, because they don't think to test dehydration and magnesium deficiencies and drug interactions before they give that initial kind of default. Good advice. So first thing is that really, and magnesium levels are not normally checked. When, mm-hmm. when you get your blood work done, they're not looking for magnesium levels. But I had one friend and client who became critically low in magnesium. And I, during that year watching her, and it, I was thinking she was developing dementia. But really, her magnesium levels were being depleted by drug interactions. And then when we put her on magnesium, she came right back to normal. And it's been three, four years, and she's sharp as a tack. So that's the first thing. Secondly, I would tell people, if you truly know that this is dementia, now it's time to take your attention away from striving to maintain brain health Mm -hmm. through crosswords and puzzles and quizzing and memory testing. Stop that because now if they truly have dementia, they're losing their memory skills, not just memories. And if you're jogging their memory, you're being cruel. You're okay. asking them to use skills they no longer have, or you're proving to them, if they're aware, you're proving to them that they are losing skills and it's not kind. Yeah. And so you t- take your focus away from trying to maintain brain health. And now you put your focus on the person and on the skills they're going to retain. And so your focus will go to enriching their presence and their present, their experience in the present at all times and taking care of all the rational thinking tasks for them. Yeah. But finding ways to support, becoming the partner, a teammate, not suddenly thinking you know best and you're going to become the instructor. Yeah. Or you know, yeah, or the director. That's just not going to work. And then the other thing. So next, the thing I would like to tell people is, you know, I know we talk a lot about mindfulness in our culture currently. I've never heard anybody talk or lecture on the mindlessness tools, but there are two.
0: Wait a minute. Mindlessness. Okay. (laughs) I know.
1: I can barely say it.
0: Go ahead. Explain that.
1: (laughs) Okay. So we hear so much about mindfulness and actually, you know, I love to read. So I have tons of books, but Ellen Langer was the first woman hired as a professor in the psychology department of Harvard back in the 70s. Uh And in 1987, I believe, she published her first little book called Mindfulness. Uh It's a beautiful book. And she talks in that book, she talks about not only how we can be mindful, but also the tools of mindlessness. And there's there's two tools of mindlessness automatic thinking scripts. And muscle memory. Now, for those of us who have attention spans and who are able to choose to be fully present in the present or to choose to focus on something in the past and sort it out in our minds or choose to project ourselves into the future and make plans, Mm -hmm. it's a very good decision for us to try to be mindful about how much time we spend in the present, the past, and the future. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who are experiencing dementia, who are losing our attention span, our ability to direct, redirect, and maintain attention. Mm -hmm. We aren't mindfully frozen in the present. We are unable to be mindful and unable to leave the present for the past and the future. And so we still have to function as Mm -hmm. best we can. And what happens is, if we are allowed to continue living in the place that is familiar, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we have automatic thinking scripts, and we have muscle memory. And those two tools are still operating and keeping us functioning at a higher level, even though we're losing rational thinking, the ability to learn, and the ability to make good decisions and use good judgment.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And yet here in America, the first thing I'll hear from families usually is, you know, well, Mom's alone. She's living in the house she's been in for 50 years. And so we're going to move her into assisted living where she'll be safer. And I always have to stop and start. We talk about mindlessness and the tools of mindlessness because, you know, how many times do you see somebody where they think, okay, well, we'll move mom or dad to someplace safer? And then as soon as they get moved, within months, they're not doing very well. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, that person who was surviving on their own now needs to be put into very expensive memory care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what's happening is if you take somebody who's experiencing dementia and you move them out of their familiar location,
0: mm-hmm.
1: strip them of all of their automatic thinking scripts and all of their muscle memory.
0: It makes it and worse. And
1: now it makes it worse. You know, I mean, the, the saddest story I have is the daughter who came to visit mom, and mom's uh-huh. living in the family home. And she just texted me and she said, hey, Judy, you know, you don't need to come by. We don't need caregivers this week because I'm here. And I said, great, you know, just let me know if you need any help. And then a week later, she texted or called and she said, well, so I had a wonderful week with mom. Boy, she really is going downhill fast. Um, You know, and I'm pretty sad about things, but I did a really good thing. I completely rearranged the house to make it easier for her. And so, you know, dad always got to sleep on the side of the bed closest to the bathroom. And so so I rearranged the bedroom so that she can just get out of bed on her side and walk straight to the bathroom. And then in the kitchen, I rearranged the whole kitchen. I got rid of all of her clutter and I put her favorite mug right next to the sink and I put the plates down lower so she could reach them. And I went over to see my client an hour later And the poor woman was walking in circles. Yeah. You know, she had a bump on her forehead. And Mm -hmm. I am sure she got out of bed in the night and walked around the bed and walked into the wall. Yeah. she Goes into the kitchen and she can't find anything. And all of a sudden her home, her familiar home of so many years of decades... Yeah. It was a strange place to her and she had no ability to learn new patterns. So th- that's a long-winded answer, but those are some of the things that I most I want, want to, to tell families when yeah. when they're caring for their loved ones.
0: It's very true. When I thought of moving home, my mom would not let me. And then the first thing, even though it was only my mom's general practitioner that said you should not move her anywhere because she does have a lot of friends she played tennis like he's like just keep the routine as best you can oh good for him and so I just go there and we try to do our best she does hide everything in the house and that's a whole other conversation but we try to do our best to keep things in the same place but she still doesn't put them in the same place because she's hiding them hiding them um, right and then, yeah but I am trying to decrease the amount of stuff she has like that she doesn't use so that yeah. way it's simpler for her to choose such stuff like her clothing you know I read an article yeah. about yeah. eventually they get overwhelmed with the number of outfits so Dude. maybe just dial it down to 20 outfits and then rotate them. So I'm trying to do that now. Yeah,
1: just weed out things that you know she doesn't search for ever. Yeah,
0: Yeah. 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 I'm doing my best. It's a process for sure. What is something that you were surprised about, you know, when you were a caregiver for those years? You know,
1: I think the first thing that jumps into my mind is stigma. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, working in Moscow, there wasn't any stigma that I could see, you know, it's a small town. And to me, for a person to repeat themselves and be forgetful, or to make bad decisions, it's simply the results of missing certain cognitive skills.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for me to listen to the same story over and over again, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, that just my companion doesn't have memory skills Mm -hmm. or, you know, and actually like your mother hiding things, becoming paranoid, being sure that somebody is stealing. It's not a moral issue. It's not a personality issue at all. It's simply what happens when somebody is losing rational thinking skills, but is aware of the loss of memory skills, but not aware of the loss of rational thinking skills. You know, It's like a partial anosognosia. And so to me, I just not having had a lot of contact with dementia or Alzheimer's or, you know, the care provided, I didn't understand there was a stigma or that yeah. we should be the least bit embarrassed about it or that, you know, other seniors will ostracize a person who's experiencing dementia because they're almost afraid it's contagious. And they just don't want any part of it. So stigma really surprises me. I just don't understand. You know, if somebody, you know, their hips are bad or their knees are bad, we've got all kinds of assistance. You know, if you lose your sight, if you lose... Hearing. People are willing to
0: help with all these other things, but when it We've comes We've got to, yeah.
1: dogs and monkeys <laughs> and, and everything you can imagine for yeah. any other loss of skills. And so how come we don't accept the loss of memory skills yeah. for the loss of judgment? So the other thing that really surprised me was the approach we take to dementia care. Because in my earlier years, I spent a year working with people with traumatic brain injuries in voc rehab up in Canada. I was working in my father's company one year when he was ill. And then before I went to law school, I spent a year working with the mentally ill in a lockdown facility. And both with people with traumatic brain injuries and with people who are experiencing mental illness, we use what we call appropriate care. You know, that all care provided must be more beneficial than harmful. Mm -hmm. But we also use something called reality orientation and reality orientation means that when somebody's confused about what's true and happening in the present or has happened in the past that you orient them to time and place and you correct any false beliefs about what's true mm-hmm. and with people with traumatic brain injuries or mental illnesses that generally works the place it's really helpful and really appropriate is with ptsd
0: mm
1: wonderful thing to use reality orientation for somebody who's having a flashback and to teach people to orient themselves in time and place. And yet, it really surprised me that we apply that to people experiencing dementia. Because if you're experiencing dementia, you are losing or have lost rational thinking skills. Mm
0: -hmm. And if you
1: don't have your rational thinking skills, you can't analyze whether somebody else's version of reality is correct or whether your own reality is correct. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing when we try to use appropriate care or reality orientation on the person experiencing dementia, we are setting them up for a fight or flight response because that's a part of our intuitive thinking skills, Mm -hmm. fight or flight. And so if the person believes our version of reality Mm -hmm. and comes to understand that their own version is wrong, Mm -hmm. they will be afraid as they should be. That their brain is not giving them good information. And if a person doesn't believe us, they're going to be angry and paranoid and think that we're trying to pull the wool over their eyes, that we're trying to set them up, that we want to steal from them or trick them. And if you're experiencing dementia and you're losing memory and you're losing rational thinking skills, how on earth could you manage to be in the same reality as your companions? Yeah. And so that really surprised me. And that's something that I always I teach a lot, just about why we cannot use reality orientation mm-hmm. when somebody lacks those cognitive skills. So,
0: wow. My last question will just be, how can folks get a hold of you if they have more questions or they want to learn more about your teachings?
1: You know, my website is thedawnmethod.com. Okay. And on the website, there's a, if they send an email to info mm-hmm. at thedonmethod.com, I will get to that. And my email address, my personal address is judy at the And there's a lot of information there's blogs, and we are getting our little training videos up, a subscription for families, and it'll be cool. available by the end of June. So okay. awesome. I'm always happy to talk with people.
0: That's amazing. Well, thank you again, Judy, for joining me today and sharing your story. I truly appreciate your time and I'm grateful that you shared your knowledge with me and the listeners. And I'm excited to hear what my family had to say about your short, brief message about the Dawn Method because it was very eye-opening to me. So thank you
1: so much. Thanks for having me.
0: To listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode. And if you know somebody who could use This information, please share it with them. If they have more questions, they could message me on Facebook or LinkedIn, DM on Instagram, or just send me a tweet. And until next week, remember, sharing is caring. And to the caregivers listening in the words of Dottie Gandy, you have my undying love, gratitude, and admiration. And to those that have not had that tough conversation with your family members about dementia, please start talking about it. What if something happens, And if they can no longer take care of themselves, then what? Do you have a plan? Take it from a daughter that has a mother with dementia. I wish I'd had that tough conversation with her. Bye.